0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. William Peters back with us. He was last on with our host, Lee Cigar, back in 2017, founder of the Shared Crossing Project, director of its research initiative, and recently published a study on shared death experiences in the American Journal of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. Recognized as a global leader in the field of shared death studies, He has spent decades studying end-of-life experiences. A practicing grief and bereavement therapist, he holds degrees from Harvard's Graduate School of Education, UC Berkeley. He worked on end-of-life and is informed by his therapeutic work with individuals and family members, personal experiences with death and dying across cultures, and his family's very own end-of-life journeys. William, welcome to the program. Looking forward to talking with you tonight.
0: George, good to be here.
1: There's nothing like it. How did you get involved in end-of-grief therapy?
0: Uh, in terms of end-of-life grief therapy? Yes. You know, I I was a psychotherapist by training in for the last two decades, but increasingly these experiences I had earlier in my life, namely a near-death experience when I was 17 years old. It was a high-speed skiing accident, and I hit the ski slope extremely hard crushed my spine catapulted out of my body uh you know saw my saw my body on the ski slope as i moved away from it quickly i'm very enamored and you know you're very familiar as is your audience i'm sure with near-death experiences it was a classic nde in the sense that you know i could see the earth uh from a satellite type view i had a a life review of everything i'd done in the previous seventeen years of my life, and then unlike most near death experiencers i when I saw the light, uh, although I was you know at peace and enthralled and, and feeling you know these sublime feelings, I did not want to die. Uh, I really was pleading with uh, a God, I grew up Catholic, and I was just saying i have to I have to go back I, I cannot you know, leave. And I and I don't know, that's so unusual when I talk to other, you know, researchers and near-death experiences. They say, God, you just don't hear that very much. Most people are are trying to, to kind of stay in that realm, and they're told it's not their time. For me, uh, it wasn't my time either, uh, but I was glad. So I came back, and I didn't think about that experience for a, a, a decade. I would have another NDE, uh, and a In a ICU in Oakland, California, had a blood imbalance, idiopathic thrombocytopenia, which is crashing platelets. This was a much, in a certain way, simpler uh, NDE. I popped out of my body and was hovering above it in the ICU for, you know, I want to say between two and four hours. I didn't even. I was very comfortable. I was listening to uh, nurses talk about the patients and just observing very peacefully um, life on the 10th floor of the ICU. And I really was a comfortable, a sense of an, uh, an observing self, if you will. But I didn't have any relationship to my, my physical body. Uh, it wasn't until the doctor came in, uh, the hematologist came in, and he tapped on my hand and I said, and I didn't. I had. A, I didn't say anything. I had this question. I realized, oh, that's me, down there, because he's calling out my name. And I could see myself. and I recognized that it was me. But I. I had a choice about whether I was going to answer him. And then my question was, which is all coming up in real time, is if I answer him, will I? Will he hear me? Will I? Will he? Will he hear me from up here, or will I go back in? I will I go back into my body? I. I decided to answer him, and as I did, I could feel the energy come back into my physical body, my sensations, and as I opened my eyes, um, as I started to talk and then I opened my eyes, I I fully inhabited my body. But those experiences, uh, those two near-death experiences, really shaped me profoundly. Um, And so I resisted going into anything having to do with near-death experiences. At that time, I should say, I didn't even know that I'd had a near-death Great. experience. I mean, if I knew it, I just kind of knew of it from afar, but I hadn't studied it, hadn't really looked at it. Uh, but then there were there was an experience where uh, my grandmother's death where I was pretty sure I walked into the room a few days before she died and she was having conversations with, you know, looked like she was having conversations with, people in the room, but they weren't there. And I saw her glancing into the distance. And I started taking notes on what she was saying, because I couldn't interrupt her, really. And I didn't try to interrupt her. uh, But I sat there, and I got close, and she didn't even know I was there. So she was clearly involved with another, another state, another dimension. Took down all the notes of what she was saying. Went back to my uncle, who's the elder in the family, and I compared the notes with him. He said, oh, my gosh, she was talking to people from 50, 60 years ago in her life. So there was something about that experience kind of compounded with the other ones that got me very interested in death and dying. I still wasn't talking about my experiences very much, but I did sign up to, well, I applied and then was uh, joined the uh, the, um, Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco. Uh, to work with the dying, and I was very fortunate to work in the public hospital setting of Zen Hospice because they had a couple settings, and this one was an open ward, 24-bed hospice with primarily serving indigent people of San Francisco. Well, What that meant was I was able to be, uh, like the other volunteers, we were all able to be close to the dying uh, in a way that you don't typically get when you're working with most people because they have family members and such. And in this way, um, you had more access to them and can, could get closer to them and learn more about them. And that, and as, as you can imagine, was at the bedside for a lot of death. Um, the last one I'll share, which really solidified my, uh, my trajectory, was I'm reading a story. Uh, to Ron, we'll call him Ron, and he was a merchant marine, and so he loved adventure stories. So I was reading him regularly Jack London stories, uh, Call of the Wild, and on this afternoon, I still remember it, it was sunny and peaceful, you know, the hospice in the afternoon, most, most of the patients are sleeping, and here I am reading this story to him, and Ron has been unresponsive, prone for days. So I'm not expecting much from him in terms of, communi- you know, communication. But as I'm reading, I pop out of my body, and there I am, suspended above my body.
1: While you were reading to him.
0: Uh, what I'm reading, I'm just reading a Jack London Call of the Wild.
1: But while you're reading, reading to him, my- you leave your body.
0: Exactly. While I'm leaving to a- reading to him, I pop out of my body. And I can't explain it except that. When I was, first I was aware that I was looking down at my body, so I had that view from above, seeing the top of my head. I could actually even see, uh, couldn't quite read the words, but I could see the, that I was reading. You know, Ron was unresponsive, laid out. But then all of a sudden I looked to my right, and there's Ron. And Ron is right to there.
1: Out of he's his body.
0: The, he's out of his body, too. All I can see is his face. And he's got a big smile and big open eyes, as if to say, "I mean, this is a telepathic communication." Check this out. This is where I've been. This is where I'm, I, as if he didn't so much say, "I want to share this with you," mm-hmm. but it was a little bit of smugness, like, um, "Check this out." And and he was pleased that I was there with him, and we shared that. And I will say, I was I was comfortable there, and. To go back to the second NDE I shared in the ICU, uh, when I had the blood imbalance, it was very similar. I was in that state just, I would say, just underneath the ceiling of the room. I never left that dimension, if you will. So it was what we call uh, a co-autobody experience. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the autobody experience in the NDE. Well, in the SDE, we call it a co out-of-body experience.
1: Is that unusual, the SDE?
0: The SDE, I mean that's a great question. We don't know how common it is uh, but you know I tell you when I was presenting and as I am presenting my research on the SDE, one thing I hear all the time from researchers in you know primarily the NDE field or the dominant researchers and that would be closest to my field is they would say We know about these experiences, but we've never been able to gather up enough cases. And that's interesting. So that goes back to your first question, George. Well, I'm an end-of-life therapist, grief and bereavement therapist. So I talk to a lot of families who are in grief and bereavement. And after a few sessions, they invariably would ask me, hey, I had this experience. I want to know, you know, basically, was I crazy, Doc? You know, did I, I, I lose my marbles at the time of the death of my loved one? Which is, it, you know, it's a reasonable question because, you know, when you lose somebody, you, you, there's a good deal of upset and stress. But I, I started hearing it more and more, and then I realized, if, then I realized I, that I had to explore this more deeply to kind of get at your question, how common is this? So I went on the circuit, you know, this kind of afterlife conference circuit and, you know, IANs. I presented at IANs all the time. I even went to uh, ADEC, the Association of Death Educators and Counselors, a number of other similar type conferences. And when I would give a talk afterwards, you know, a couple dozen people would come up to me, form a line and say, I've basically never shared this with anybody, maybe my partner, but you know or best friend, but they didn't really know what to do with it. But now that you put a, a, a label on it, named it, I'll, I am so relieved, Thank you because I thought that maybe I'd made this up. So that doubting with these people ceased and, uh, and they got the affirmation that they were looking for in the research. So now, you, know, just to cut to the chase here in terms of the research, uh, at the time of the book, I and my research team had deeply analyzed 134 uh, cases. Now we're up to 225, and that, and we are we have no shortage of people who we can reach out to. I mean, all I have to do is give a talk. Like I would, there was you know you made reference to uh, being on you know Lisa Gar's coast to coast show a number because like 2017. After that show alone. I think we had four dozen calls. And That's from all amazing. over the world, I realize that your program is, uh, you know, syndicated and offered all over. We got calls from, you know, like I said, I'm literally Australia and other places. So,
1: and your website's uh, still the same, sharedcrossing.com? Yes, it is. Okay, good. That's amazing. I'm going to tell you a story before the break, William, and I want you to kind of analyze this for me. I had a friend of 20 years who owned his own limo company in St. Louis. And, you know, I would use him as much as I can to help him out. He'd pick me up at the airport, and he's just a great guy. Back in 1996, when I was doing a local show in St. Louis called The Nighthawk, he predicted I'd be doing Coast to Coast. He said it then. Well, five years later, I started filling in, and then uh, a couple years after that, I'm the full-time host. So he was right about that. Anyways, on New Year's day at night, New Year's New Year's night, not New Year's Eve, but New Year's night, the day after. I'm at a little restaurant, and uh, he calls me up and says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm at this place. And he said, do you mind if I come by? And I said, no, not at all. So he came by on New Year's night. And I have never seen him so depressed, so distraught, so out of it in all my life. Never, ever. And I kept telling his name was John. And I just said, John, are you okay? What's what's wrong? And he mumbled, and he said, I made a wrong turn, and I made a wrong turn. He just wasn't making any sense. Anyways, I told him, go home. You need to go home. Sunday, he sends me a text at noon. Now, he always, I mean always, responded to my texts. I sent him a text based on the one he sent me at noon. No response. No response. All night Sunday, no response. Monday. All day Monday, no response. Finally, I'm at a point where I'm going, this is really weird. So I told a friend of mine, and he said, I'm calling the police. He calls the cops, and the cops say, you're the seventh person to call us about this person. We think we're going to go to the house and see what's going on. So they did, and they found him dead in his bedroom. Uh, So I'm, I'm guessing he had died sometime Sunday when he never responded to me. But I felt something weird that, that night I was with him on New Year's night. What made me feel that way?
0: Well, what did you feel specifically when you say you felt something weird? I just
1: felt a cloud of something around him.
0: A cloud of something around I,
1: him. I, I can't say, honestly, that I felt death about him, mm-hmm. but I felt something very ominous. It could have been death, but yeah. I didn't. But I didn't know if I felt that or not.
0: Well, you know, we do have a type of SDE that's called the sympathetic SDE, and and it's it would the, the cases we highlight and, and it's clear for are this type of a case, and I talk about this case actually in in my book. Um, so this is Sarah. Sarah wakes up. Uh, early on a Saturday morning and she starts getting feverish and, and sweating and then she starts vomiting and she's, you know, nauseous and vomiting and her husband and her kids are like, oh my God, what's going on with you? And she goes, I don't know. I've never felt this. I just like, I don't It just came over me. And they say, we're taking you to the ER. She goes, yeah, okay. And she gets ready to go to the ER and then then it, she starts feeling a little better. She goes, you know, I don't feel as bad as I did. She stopped sweating, you know. Uh, not vomiting anymore, but she goes, so I like, wow, I feel just like I was hit by a truck. And, and then, you know, she, she, she gets a little better. They don't go to the ER. She gets a call about, you know, an hour later, and it's her um, her sister. She goes, I have bad news for you. Uh, your favorite niece, just we just learned she died of oh, an accidental drug overdose about an hour and a half ago. And so we call this a sympathetic SDE because it seems like Sarah what might have been, our hypothesis is she was sharing in the transition or the experiences just at the time of death for her niece, in this case, uh, Leela, who was dying. And, and so we have those. We also have cases, we have a number of the cases with, the drug overdoses. We have a few of those. I actually cite another one in, the, in my book, but the, and the other one we cite uh, and the research quite a bit is uh, heart attacks. People will feel uh, tightness in their, stre- in, their, in their chest, a shortness of breath, very similar to a heart attack, but then someone close to them will have it and will have died from it.
1: That's interesting so, because they think he may have died of some kind of heart attack, they're not sure. Yeah. But uh, I was feeling weird that whole night.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, the question would be, you know, you don't want to fill in the blank here. You don't want to, you know, but you, but it may have been that some of those feelings of weirdness, dissociation, if you had, I didn't say dissociation, but maybe some of those um, those feelings or thoughts of confusion, if indeed he was, you know, suffering from lack of oxygen, you might have been feeling some of the, you know, the precursors mm-hmm. of his heart attack and eventual death. Yours is not a full-blown case for sure, George. But, you know, it, it, it's something to consider. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.